Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that is not suitable for young viewers. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there's also the possibility that spoilers will occur for the Silver Guardian, as well as any other anime series that may occur. So be very careful at your own risk. And finally, the views and opinions expressed in tonight's episode are that of the individual participants and do not reflect Dub Talk as a whole. And remember people, if you die in the game, you don't die in real life. Even if you're a silver-haired high school student who secretly guards stage zero from Tomb Raiders. Code name, The Silver Guardian. Welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where a group of Tomb Raiders search and raid for the latest and greatest in anime English dubs. My name is Stephanie, and I am joined tonight by Jamal. If we're Tomb Raiders, which one of us is Lara Croft? Me, because default woman, I guess. Alright. Uh, Most confident Steve. person in the room. Hello! We're here with Steve's. You said hello. And Lack the Watcher. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm ready to watch some actual c- Chinese cartoons. So, so spring is fully underway now, and so are the spring slate of Slamadubs, but before we get some fresh air and new shows, we have a few winter ones to wrap up with. Kicking off our trio of winter reviews is the series The Silver Guardian from Howl Liners Animation League, which is based in Shanghai, China. That's right, folks. Noah's studio... Noah's stupid joke has actually come true today. We're talking about Chinese cartoons, boys and girls. It's the miracle of globalization. And it, no, it affects us all. It's a big year for, for Asia. Woo! Uh, in case you don't know anything about what the hell we're talking about, here's a quick little summary. Soigen may be poor, but he is one of the best online video game players. This identity, however, is unknown to all except for Rei Riku, Soigen's classmate. She delivers a mysterious mobile device to Soigen, but before being able to explain herself, Ray is kidnapped and Soigen unwittingly finds himself wrapped up in a series of problematic circumstances. Searching for a way to save her, he accidentally activates the device, allowing him to dive into a new virtual game world. So, as always, we're going to be covering the dub of the series from the casting, our thoughts on performances, and our general opinions on the series itself. We are not going to be talking about predictions because Silver Guardian is an interesting situation. So the first season premiered over a year ago now, and at the time, we were not considering it for an episode, and then the second season came out in the winter season, and then among the staff members who did the staff um, survey we have internally, uh, there was enough interest in this this series that we decided to do an episode on it, which makes me very happy, because I'm one of the few people who actually finds this show okay. (laughs) Everybody else is like, no, no. Hey, I'm okay with it too. I know you are. That's why I said I'm. I'm one of the few. I know you are too. We're evenly split. We're evenly split. So it's going to be an interesting conversation tonight. So, who is ready to log in and get the party started? In the database, database, living in the database. <laughs> this isn't the show for That's that. That's the but wrong okay. reference. No, just make sure your bank accounts are fat. Because that's how you play the game. Indeed it is. Alright, so let's get started with the ADR directors, the assistant director, and scriptwriters. So, 
this this is one of the probably the biggest interest one of the interesting parts of this this conversation we're gonna have today uh because the staffing for between seasons one and two are completely different from each other so for season one we just had a director and a writer and then season two is where we get a different director an assistant director but only i believe for the last episode and then a different writer entirely so here's how it breaks down so for season one the ADR director for season one was Jade Saxon, who has also been the director for shows such as Interviews with Monster Girls, Token Rambo Hanamaru, and Convenient Store Boyfriends, while the script writer for season one was Josh Greeley, who has written for other series such as Castletown Dandelion, Overlord, and the Tokyo Ghoul franchise. Now, since, this, since season two of Civil Guardian came out in the same season as sequel seasons for Token Rambo and Overlord, both Jade and Joss did not come back to take part in season two. So here is how season two's staffing went down. So the ADR director for season two of Silver Guardian went to Clifford Chapin, who has also been the director for Darling in the Franks, which is still currently airing, Yona of the Dawn, and Keijo. The assistant director who helped direct the final episode of the second season is Tabitha Ray, who has also been the assistant for Kato, The Right Answer, Kino's Journey, and The Morose Mononokian. And meanwhile, we have Mr. Clayton Browning, who is the writer for this. He actually doesn't have many writing credits under his belt as of right now. Uh, I think he only has four other ones, but the three I snagged were Joker Game, Con Cole, and D. Grayman. So, this is gonna be... This has gotten very complex really quickly. So, who wants to go first with their thoughts on the directing and writing of The Silver Guardian? I'll go. Okay. I found that the first season was solid for what you could get out of it. Jade you did a good job during the first season, uh, making the making the dialogue sound as natural as you could make it, given how stagey and stilted the show could be. And Cliff for the second season, a good show in trying to bring the staginess of what's essentially an action shown into a head. Uh, also for the second season, uh, Josh, good show, good show in the first bit to try and uh, adapt some of the uh, more technical terminology here. But I gotta give Clayton the second se uh, the second season's use of gamer terms in a way that felt natural within the world in these characters showboating. It was well done. All right, who's next? Uh, I can go next. Okay, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm trying to think of what really stood out for me regarding this dub. Uh, I would say maybe the personalities of the characters kind of stood out. Mm -hmm. Um, there was definitely a lot of different kinds of, of, uh, characters in this because as far as the villains go specifically, more so than I think the heroes, a lot of the villains were very gimmicky villains, and I think that one one good thing about this dub is that the uniqueness of the voice actors in these roles reflected the gimmickiness of the villains. Mm. Um, especially in the later episodes with the monkey guys and, <laughs> you know... <laughs> the monkey guys that we're not going to get to talk about. Yeah. But hell yes, Jerry Jewel and J. Michael Tatum, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and early on with the Team Rocket wannabes, basically. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but... In all in all seriousness, um, I think the villains were really were the standouts of the personality of this dub. Uh, the heroes sounded fine too, but 
Uh, I, they were, because of the fact that they were a little more normally designed, the performances from the actors were meant to be a little bit more normal. But for, for the for the more creative villains, you know, for lack of a better term, um, the actors were able to really kind of expand themselves and do something that they don't necessarily always get to do, even in, like, shonen anime and stuff like that. All right, Jamal? Uh, I guess... Pretty much with Jade and Josh, they did a pretty good job. I was su- I was surprised when the press release came out. And I saw Jade was attached to this because I I look at the show and I see to myself. I think I know why Jade wanted to direct this because normally with Jade, she tends to direct a lot of dubs with sincerity in them. Let's just put it mm. that way because I that's a, that's just pretty much of a director style I can get out of her best I can. I mean, considering her track record with, like, Interviews with Monster Girls and Token Rambu, it actually makes a lot of sense, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she had a, t- a box of tissues right next to her at the booth. But, uh, it's, I mean, it's either she wanted to direct this stuff because there was some sincerity in the earlier episodes, or because she wanted to play a cat. Uh, shout out to Wanchoy. <laughs> Wanchoy. <laughs> we miss you, Wanchoy. But, yeah... It it was kind of nonsensical the first season. And I thought I thought she did pretty good with the material she handled. I was surprised to see she didn't come back for the second season though, because I thought you know with a lot of, yeah. with a lot of directors doubling up. I mean, I thought she would come back for sure. To which to which I'm going to transition to Cliff because I know Cliff manages to keep the tone very well. And know how knows how to handle Jade's project very well because if you recall, both of them also co-directed Konohana Kitan. This is true. We unfortunately didn't get to talk about Konohana Kitan because they were co-directors on it. So yeah, you 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 are right in the sense that Cliff had the chance to get a grasp on Jade's directing style before going into Silver Guardian. Exactly. He knew better than not to mess up, though so there was one setback that I kinda docked him a couple points for. But we'll talk about that moment later on. I don't know if it's a setback. I mean, I can understand the reasoning why it had to happen. But we'll, we'll that's that's the other big conversation we're going to have later on down the line. Yeah, so he did a pretty good job carrying uh, Jade's tone for the show. As well as handling the change, I think the change of the genres, I guess. Because mm. when season one started off more like kind of a dramatic tone, season two switched to more of a shonen tone. Mm-hmm. So going into that, I think, you know, it all, it, he not only played to Jane's strengths, he also played to his old strengths, having directed right. previous Shonen before. I think it's pretty much it. Other than the last episode, I, everything was pretty good. I mean, I'm not too familiar with Tabitha as a director, because... Neither am I. Yeah. Uh, that leaves me. So, going into this, because obviously... The big reason why, again, the reasons why Jane and Josh didn't come back to be director and writer for the show is because they had, there were sequels for other shows that I would, I, I don't want to assume, but it seems clear that they're more passionate about. Those being Token Rambo and Overlord, which I mean, it, it, I don't blame them for not wanting to come back. Because <laughs> I mean, J- Jade loves, loves them sword boys. As much as, like, all the other fangirls, including myself, fuck you, Megan, I hate you for that. And, um, Overlord is fantastic, and part of the reason why I love it so much is because of Josh's writing. Because he is a gamer, he is a bit of a nerd, so it made sense. Um, which, in that sense, 
To an extent, Josh's writing still kept true to that in Silver Guardian because this is also a video game based kind of show. <laughs> However, there is a difference between Josh and Clayton's writings that is very, very distinct. Because um, there were some lines in season one that I just couldn't, I couldn't, I had to stop and die. Like, for what's one, for example? Oh, in episode, was it five of the first season? Where <laughs> Soygen gets the phone and he's hearing the recording from his grandpa and he's told <laughs> to, to use this money to, to live happily ever after with Ray. And the reaction basically goes as follows. Well, Ray, we can't do this, but grandfather think, you know what, well, you know what, skirt, my body is ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, stop. And then, um, there was another one later on where, uh, the words, it's raining men were used. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I almost shouted hallelujah to that. Um, it was As great. you should. And with Clayton's writing, at the same time, it's more straightforward it doesn't try to be too gimmicky or too... What's the right word? I don't want to say dated, because I always tend to go default to that word. Meme-laden? Too gimmick... Kind of, yeah. It doesn't try to be too gimmicky. It doesn't try to go... Um, like a modern stereotypical approach. Because there have been shows that have done that, and it doesn't work very well. Though I will say this, and I am mad at Clayton, I'm also mad at Cliff for this. There's a missed opportunity in this script, and it's an over 9,000 joke, and I am disappointed. <laughs> I'm, I'm still Sorry. trying to get used to the uh, unintentional uh, private joke in the episode 17, I think it was. When they showed the asset graphs, and Sweet is like, so, how's it measure? Yup. <laughs> that happened, too. That happened, too. But, um, going into the directing, um... For season one, Jade, I think she knew what her intent was, knew what she was going into. Because I think this was the second directing project she had after Token Rambu a couple seasons before. And um, and I, it, it, for her, it's a solid effort and it was a very solid foundation for the show. Uh, and it brought out some interesting performances for voice actors who were either... Especially for the two leads, really, with Soigen and Ray, that either I've never heard of before in the case of Ray, or who I've never seen a leading role in the case of Soigen. And and I think her directing style, it was very solid, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, though more of the problem is on the show, because how the show is structured. Season 1, it is 12 episodes, but they have a 12 to 13 minute runtime. Season 2 is 6 episodes, but it's at the 20, 22 to 23 runtime. So essentially, it's like taking that first season and putting it together and making 6 episodes. So in, an, in a sense, if it's a regular timed show, it's a single core of anime. So <laughs> you probably didn't get to hear it beforehand because he was shouting this beforehand um, before we started the episode. Lack spent seven, six to seven episodes wondering where the fuck the plot was. Yeah, uh, yeah, and especially after skimming the manoir, I'm like, oh, yeah. that's why it takes so long to get started, because the plot already starts, basically, at the beginning. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. But yeah, Jade's directing in season one is very solid. Transferring it over to Cliff, 
first of all, logical choice since they did work together in Konohana Kitan, so they are familiar with each other's styles. Um, but two, because... And I think Cliff had tweeted this originally when um, he announced he was the director for season two. He wanted to make sure it was still consistent with what Jade was working with. He didn't want to make drastic, too many drastic changes. He didn't want to change the, the tone or the pace of it. And it shows. It, it, remained, it remained really consistent in terms of the directing style and the performances in the show. Um, again, there's that one major change that we're going to talk about later on. And, I and again, I understand the reasoning why Cliff did this. Uh, but that's a discussion for, uh, for a little while. But yeah, like I've solid directing and writing, but the only the only drawback is I could tell the differences between the two writers, like their different writing styles. I could tell that there was a distinct difference between the two seasons, and that might be a little bit of a drawback, but only if you're really paying attention to it. But otherwise than that, I think it's been very solid. And unfortunately, and this is more on the show, kind of needs to have a season three. <laughs> keeps doing the stupid stupid cliffhangers it's ridiculous anyway uh are we good to move on to our first set of characters sure so so speaking of team rocket to an extent <laughs> prepare uh, for trouble and <laughs> make a double or in this case uh, make a triple yeah yeah but we're not talking about me, foreign yet she's me out that's right <laughs> oh no i was looking at the lineup my bad <laughs> <laughs> no foreign is later Oh, to be fair, though, Meowth could be... <laughs> God damn it. That was, com that was completely unintentional. <laughs> that was unintentional, and it worked beautifully. So the first three characters we're going to cover, uh, you really only see them in the first season. Uh, two of them, they are teammates of Farin, a character who we're going to discuss later on. Uh, the third individual... Uh, she's really only there for, like, one stage and kind of as an introduction to this world and the mechanics and kind of helps push the plot in, in a sense. Um, so we have Enyu, uh, we have Phoebe, and we have Shostia. Uh, Shostia being help helping with the guardian duties and all that stuff. Uh, Enyu and Phoebe, we meet the, the two of them plus Farin um, when they initially try to grave rob this, try to, try to, um, steal the treasures of this, this pyramid that Soigen just gets thrown into for no fucking reason. Uh, so the individuals voicing these characters, for EU, and I, again, names are gonna kill me today, EU, we have Christopher Wakecamp, who has been in series such as Ace Attorney, The Royal Tutor, and Star Blazers Battleship Yamato 2199. For Phoebe, we have Elizabeth Maxwell, who has been in series such as Attack on Titan, Ghostic, and Noragami. And Shostia, we have Natalie Hoover, who has been in the Diagon Romper franchise, both the games and the anime series, Keijo and Show by Rock. So, who's gonna start us off with these three? Okay, for uh, Shostia, um, unfortunately, she just wasn't in the show all that much, and she didn't have much to say, so it's hard to really, like, be able to judge Nat uh, Natalie's performance. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think for the character, she was fine, because, I mean, what can you really do with a character like this? Where, fair. literally, she shows the reason she's there the moment she's summoned. Basically, we see her thighs, we see her boobs, and it's just like, <laughs> oh, well, that's why you're here. So, oh, God. But Brief I, fan service, apparently. Yeah. 
I was almost thinking, wait, is this gonna be like a running gag? Like every level he goes to has a different like hot chick, like to be his guide or something like that. But that's not plus twin plus twin star plus twins. We'll we'll get the best girl later. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it was it worked fine. Uh. I, I mean, what else could they have done with the character? Like, give her an Egyptian accent? Like, I mean... So, with, with what they did with the character was was good. Uh, Phoebe was a lot of fun. I liked uh, I liked Phoebe uh, because, obviously, she reminded me of Jesse from Team Rocket. Um, and I think Elizabeth Maxwell did a great job of, like, being faux Jesse. So she's like, a, she's like a seductive version of Jesse. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of awesome, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like a kind of Yatterman kind of thing going on there. Yeah, yeah. that actually makes a better comparison, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Team Rocket came from Yatterman, but whatever. Uh, yeah. it, 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 but there's there's definitely there's definitely something memorable about the femme fatale villain, even when it, she's meant to be a joke, like Phoebe was. Yeah. But I think Elizabeth Maxwell, you can tell she actually had fun playing this character, and it, it kind of comes through. And, uh... You? Is that how you pronounce <laughs> I hope so. I'm sorry, Chris. We love you. But this character is weird name. Uh, odd bow. It says A here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the shit? Well, okay. I, there was, like, a Chinese to Japanese kind of translation thing that was going on here. Like, you know, Riku is not really their last names. It's like... It's like Lou or something like that. But, um... Uh, EU too, Christopher. Um, but anyway, he, he was also a lot of fun. Uh, he played the, he played the incompetent idiot pretty well. It, it, it comes to, it, he just, again, there's not much these characters cause they're only in the first season and they're kind of just there to be foils. But I mean, I remember them better than I remember some other characters. So I'll be fair in that way and say that they were pretty memorable. Um, it's good that they're at least memorable cause they are. Yeah. So, I, kudos to that, and I think a lot of that has to do with the performances of the actors, because I think they brought personality to these characters. So, yeah. No, uh, thumbs up. Uh, you're gonna have to skip me here. I'm really sorry to the guys who voiced them. You did do a good job of what here here today is what I hear today. I took a break between seasons, and I forgot these characters. I'm sorry, they had nothing to do with the story, and I was so bewildered with Why, all of the other pretty pictures? colors and strange things. I fought, forgot you guys. I'm sorry, Christopher, Elizabeth, and Natalie. You're cool, you want, but... You want pictures to know what they are? Who they are? I remember who they are now. That was a little bit after the magic pyramid boss you, monster. Okay, you just I, remember the performances because, one, you watched the show a while ago, and two, they don't exactly come back again. Yeah, yeah, that okay. was the... The Shosti show's writers are figuring things out as they go. Shosti is the uh, Egyptian Neko. Mm. There we yes. go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, that's All my right. take on that. Jamal? All right, so uh, this is my first time talking about Chris Waycap, but yeah, he does... What? What? How is this a thing? That it, this is your first time talking about Chris Waycap? Because it is. Oh, well, I th if I'm right, we'll get to talk about him again in the future. But right now, this is my first time, so... I know. Okay. The, the future, though. Yes, yes, keep your, <laughs> to your, keep your excitement to yourself, okay? So, yeah, Chris Wakecap played the dumbass very well. I mean, you know, he did... I, I get... It's like Megan said in another episode later. 
you could tell when an actor really loves their perf- their characters, and mm-hmm. it really showed the Chris. I guess he loved to just let loose in the booth where he's playing the dumbass. And Chris really enjoyed playing the dumbass. I guess he gets to cu- he gets to cut loose every once in a while, mm-hmm. as other actors will attest from time to time. Mm-hmm. And you could tell Phoebe with Elizabeth Maxwell really had fun with the character, because while listening to Phoebe, she has a bit of a southern dialect that kind of gave me a. Flashbacks to Seven Mortal Sins, but at oh, least, no. but at least with Phoebe, she doesn't come off sounding like Blanche Devereaux, which actually I was comfortable with, thank God. And uh, Natalie Hoover, she shows you, she makes shows you pretty cute and pretty enjoyable too. Yeah, we don't get to see much of her, but I liked it for what it is. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna start with Chris too. Because if I if I had to pull from my brain the characters that he's played in the past and then Eu here, Eu is the stupidest one I've heard him play. <laughs> For it's one. like it's like Bruno without the spots. Yes, but it's vastly different as well from what I normally hear him as. Because like I can distinguish him from Bruno, I can, can distinguish him from um, Aizawa. Zed, um, even Kodai, because I've been watching Star Blazers now, um, because I'm just like, you know what, I should probably just watch this, because I'm morally interested, and actually, I'm, I'm already, like, six episodes through it, and I'm like, ooh, I like this, why didn't I see it before? <laughs> um, you can catch up on that. I'm working on that, because the next season's supposed to be a thing that exists now. Um, but, EU is definitely more on the silly side. And it his, and the voice, the range that he uses for that character is vastly different than what I'm normally associated with him. So that's honestly a lot of fun and interesting. And then Phoebe, goddamn Phoebe, goddamn Elizabeth. It's it's Phoebe is a cunning character. Yeah. And she's very seductive. The whole bit with the fucking tentacles. Yeah. Where she where where she and Farn are luring these. Sorry, sons of bitches, into their trap. What did my gold digger? I can't believe I <laughs> said that. Yes, you did. But let's but face facts. It's broke. true. Let's face facts. <laughs> God damn it! Uh, I got that. <laughs> I say that because when April voices said gold digger. Right. Yeah, I mean, but to be fair, that character legit is essentially a gold digger. That's not. That's not lie. I say she a gold digger. But she is voiced by Good <laughs> April. Oh, Lord. I'm not even going to comment on that. <laughs> but Elizabeth is very good with portraying this seductive tone that, I, that I've noticed. Like, she's, she's very good at it. Like, I, I would be like, take, I would be like, girl, I love you. <laughs> it's great. Um, I love you, bitch. <laughs> I love you, bitch. Shut the fuck up. No, um, but yeah, Phoebe as a character, within the dynamic of her EU and foreign, obviously she's the mature, seductive woman out of the three. And then we have the Sundere Lolly, and then the stupid idiot <laughs> among them. Um, so that's an interesting balance between Chris, Elizabeth, and then foreign later on. And I, I love that interaction, the balance between those three. And Shostia, I love Natalie. 
I love Natalie. Um, I know there have been occasions in the past where we've, where some of us have had issues with Natalie. Um, I've grown to really get her range and her voice, actually. Um, ever since, I think the first time I talked about her was Princess Stride, and that was the episode where I was like, eh, I've grown to love her range a lot more in the past couple of years. It's one of those moments where I learned my fucking lesson. I learned my fucking lesson, guys. Um, well in done. Her as Shostia, compared to some of the other characters I've seen Natalie play, with the exception of... Oh god, I can't remember her character's name in Occubus Trip. With that, with exception Arisa, of that Arisa Ahokaide. Thank you, Arisa. Probably with the exception of Arisa, Shostia in the, like, quote-unquote, I guess, technical terms, might be among the older characters she's voiced, technically. So, Natalie's range, instead of what I normally hear her as, it's, it's not, like, complete soprano kind of deal like she did with card captors or um or with Akiba Strip, but it's um it's also not quite Sonya Nevermind territory with Dongan Rob. It's actually a little bit of our lower register, which I'm not used to. So I can appreciate like seeing a bit more growth and diversity with her range. Uh, and I uh, even though her character is very, very has a very, very limited runtime. I enjoyed it. She was adorable. She was downright adorable. But because it's probably the lowest range I've heard her in yet, I'm interested to know if she can pull off a Monica Real and ha and we can see a big girl Natalie voice or hear a big girl Natalie voice. That makes me that makes me curious if she's capable of pulling that off. But who knows what the future will hold? But um, yeah, all three of these characters, despite only being in season one for such a short amount of time. I enjoyed them. They were very enjoyable. Uh, moving on. Are we good? <clears throat> Alright. Yeah. The next two characters we're going to talk about. These two are essentially lackeys to two rival gangs, I guess, for lack of a better word. Organizations. That's a better word to use here. Um, we have Nishikaze, who is a little, like, emo, goth, lolita kind of character, I guess. Um, she works for the Totem Organization, and she's not introduced to us until, uh, season two, when she is tasked to get Swigin, uh, to meet Temujin, who we'll discuss next, uh, and attempt to save Rei. And then we have Bashida, who works for the organization Precious under Dark Tiger, who we'll talk about next, uh, and there's not really much to say about him, because... Precious, we don't, we haven't really seen as much of Precious as we have with the Totem Organization. Um, but Bashida is essentially the, uh, essentially Dark Tiger's right-hand man, uh, to an extent. So, for Nishikaze, we have Miss Marissa Lenti voicing her, who has been in series such as Attack on Titan Junior High, Keijo, and Rio Rainbow Gates. And then as Bashida, we have Aaron Roberts, who has been in series such as Aka 13 Territory Inspection Department, Token Rambu, Rambu Hanamaru, Tongue Twisters, and Gangsta. So, who's going first? Uh, I guess I'll go first. Uh, oh, Bashida? Bashida doesn't have as much screen time as I would like, because as I, as I don't notice him as a character, it only yeah. took a second rewatch to 
get an understanding for him because I was like, who is this guy? And wh why why is he kind of important? And now when I when I see it again for the second time today, it make it kind of makes sense, but as, at the same time, the whole story doesn't really kind of develop it. I mean, mm -hmm. seems like two rival factions are trying to well, do some grave robbing, right? So I'm trying to figure out like how his character and his faction kind of really play into this against the totems, who we'll get to later. Yeah, it's that's that's again that's the downside I was bringing up a second ago with um, Bashida and uh, Dark Tiger, who we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, where we have we we kind of get more characters and more time with totems so far than we have with Precious. So that's the downside in terms of these the, uh, but with Aaron Roberts and Dark Tiger's character. Yeah. So in terms of the role, I think Roberts did a pretty good job here. Mm -hmm. As for Marissa Letty, it's funny how you say if you would hear Natalie Hoover do Mark Real kind of voice, because that was the mm -hmm. first thing that came to mind when I heard Nietzsche Kaiser, because it's like it's two different tones of Monica Real combined into one. And uh, here's a funny story for you, because uh, okay. I remember one time Hardy was saying that he did not know Marissa Letty was capable of that voice when we did the Nabaka episode. Oh yeah, that's right. Neither did Marissa because we ha I heard in a podcast once that when they did when they started work on the first episode after they wrapped the first episode she watched the second episode subbed and then she heard the say you do a high pitched voice to which she started to get concerned because she had never done a high pitched voice before and she oh. called Erin and asked if like if she needed to be recast or anything and, and said that she was good and they'll make it work to which. And this week's a little troll when it comes to directors sometimes. And you are a beautiful bastard for doing that, man. <laughs> I mean, all the better for it because, goddamn, that warden was amazing. Thank you, Marissa, for your service. Where is more non-Baka? Goddammit. <laughs> yeah, that was a trial by fire. Also, also, holy shit, at the time of recording this, we finally have a goddamn release date for the home video release of Nambaka. It only took, like, what, two fucking years? Oh my years? god, yeah, we haven't had a release, we haven't had a home release no. yet, have we? It's like, shit, it's coming out in July. Buy Nambaka, ladies and gentlemen, watch Nambaka as I slam my hand on my fucking desk, I'm sorry. Yes, vote with your wallets, maybe we'll get the OVA dub, too, who knows? Do it, kids. Please vote kids. with your wallets. Anyways, yeah, Nishi, yeah, Marissa did a pretty good job as Nishikaze. I mean, it's it's kind of sad she only sets up in the end of second. Uh, rewind. In season two. It's kind of sad she only ends up in the end of season two. I I really hope we get to see more. Come on, give us a season three, man. Don't leave her hanging. Come on, we need more Nishikaze in our lives. Uh, who's next? I'll go in. I found with uh, Nishikaze, she was, she should have, my expectation listening to the sub was she should have been this flat, the emotionless uh, goth girl with an eye patch, but there was a nice uh, terse edginess that really came through there. Marissa really didn't, Marissa sounded half frustrated half the time when uh, dealing with some of the nonsense of the kooky characters around her, and I found that uh, really rolled off well. I found myself liking the character in spite of myself. Basically, uh, it's one of those situations where it's like she doesn't get paid enough for this bullshit. Is that what it's sounding like to me? Yeah, that's what the character was. 
Okay. Yeah, the character was, well, I'm working with this organization and they have to do this because there's some labyrinthine politics that I can't be arsed to explain to the protagonist, so I'll deal with it. But uh, yeah, there was a nice uh, starkiness to it. As for Bashida, Aaron Roberts tries. He does a... Uh, the character really doesn't have much to do. He is just mm -hmm. a pretty boy who is there to react to his boss, Dark Tiger, and... He is incensed about some of the various decisions that some of the other Tom Foolery people are doing. And again, he's he tries to put as much spark into it, but that character is so inconsequential to the plot. I, again, I had some problem even remembering him. And I recently rewatched that episode, his episodes today, and it was still okay. That's right, he's there, but the main focus is elsewhere. Still, right. uh, kudos, Aaron, to uh, doing the servile little. Uh, grimy guy who's loyal to his boss with aplomb. Lack, what do you think? Well, uh, okay. Uh, one of the things that stood out for me for Bushida was how high-pitched his voice was. Mm, yep. That was one of the things that really stood out to me, and I was like, I didn't hate it, I was just like, huh, I wonder what they're going for here. Cause this is question, a qu question, how familiar with Aaron Roberts are you? Um... I'm trying. I'm trying to gauge because I don't know if you've ever heard of Aaron Roberts. Radio no, I, before, I know yeah. him, but I'm. I'm trying to think of who did he play in Gangsta? Uh, Cody Balfour, because oh. the run, stupid running fucking joke of Cody Balfour being a sky wizard. That's where. He's Jero and Robbins, Zach. Okay. He's right. Jero and Robbins. So yeah. you have heard this man before. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, I, Wait, I, I, you hosted you hosted Ramens. What am I fucking thinking? You've heard yeah. of this man before? Yeah, no, of course I have. I'm just trying to remember what I've heard him in. But uh, uh I mean what else? Have you have you seen Aka? Not really. I saw like the first episode in Japanese. Damn, okay. So. And I'm guessing you haven't seen Token Rambo, obviously. No. Damn. Um hmm. But I still thought it was an interesting choice, cause Typically, more tan characters don't get high-pitched voices, for it's one thing. True. Oh, wait, you watch My Hero, right? Yeah. Kamui Woods. Okay, alright, yeah. There you go. I mean, he had a, I'm like, wait, he forgot that, that one. He had a somewhat deep voice. Yeah, yeah. There we go, there's a good one for you. But yeah, uh, I just thought it was a very interesting choice. Uh, for Nishikaze, uh, I liked her voice. I, I liked how robotic and, like information informational it was like just uh encyclopedia basically speaking um which is <laughs> that's one way to describe it and i i think um marissa played it very well uh, i think the character she might have made the character sound a little too old for me but i get what they were going for i i just mm -hmm. it nishikasi is a weird looking character because at one angle she looks like a lolly and at the next angle she's got this huge cleavage and it's just like I, you know, she's really kind of a question mark of character design, honestly, and it, it's and it's really hard to, to nail one of those characters. And I, I, again, I'm not saying Marissa did a bad job. I think she did a fine job. I, I guess I just I don't know really what kind of character, like what kind of voice she should have, but I think Marissa gave her a good one. Basically, so. you're questioning the logic of the show. <laughs> yeah, either that you're questioning the animation. Yeah. That too. That too. Because it's like, it's like, Nishikaze represents that these animators wanted to have their cake and eat it too. Because she's got kind of the, the 
physical like like the the physical stance of like a lolly character, but they mm-hmm. wanted to give her voluptuousness too, and it's like well that's kind of weird. Would that explain like, the eighteen like, on the eye patch? Yeah. <laughs> Like, boys, I didn't realize it. Boys and girls, we gotta remember this girl is of age. She's 18 years old. Look yeah. at the eye patch. It's the best indicator. Whatever the <laughs> age of consent is in China. But, uh. <laughs> oh, God. Um, my turn, I guess. Um, so yeah, like I was saying before, Aaron Roberts is one of. is another one where it's like we can't really talk much about, <laughs> unfortunately, because his character is very limited in the show. Limited. Yeah. <laughs> But um, from what I from what I could get from it, Bashida is kind of a slimy character. He's a very devious and cunning character to a point. Um, I think it's actually a lot of fun. I mean, it's more of a slimy individual character, but uh, more of a devious character, and actually a bit more, a little bit of a higher register compared to some other ones that I'm familiar with. Um. Particu- particularly Dance with Devils comes to mind because um, his character Udie in that one um, is f- fairly similar in that regard um, but less of a demon of sorts though. <laughs> um, as for Marissa God I love Marissa. Who does it? She's such a badass. Yeah. Kick is so much ass. Like Nishikaze is like I don't get paid enough for your bullshit. I ain't got time for your bullshit. Get in the fucking mirror, Soigen. Let's go. I ain't got all day. But Nishikaze, to an extent, also serves as um, the exposition slash mechanic dump, to an extent, in Season 2, uh, which there are parts of it that are necessary, because by that point, it's like, what the fuck is happening in this show? It's... It, it's hard to keep track, especially with how the show is paced and how the episodes are laid out, which kind of sucks. But uh, Marissa, I, I love Marissa to pieces as Nishikaze. It's it's so much fun. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, are we good to move on? Yeah. Yep. Our next trio. We have a trio of men coming in here. So, <laughs> Hallelujah. They are basically three opposing factions to a degree. So we have Temujin, who is the leader of the Totems, and uh, who at, who manages to kidnap and hold hostage, as she prefer she calls it. He he prefers to say it's more hospitality and protecting her, uh, <laughs> kidnapping Rei Riku. <laughs> uh, we have Dark Tiger, who is the leader of Precious, who is this masked armored man who sits on a throne the majority of the time and doesn't do a goddamn thing. Uh, and I think it's what's interesting with Dark Tiger is we actually don't get to hear him or he doesn't have a voice until season two, which is weird. But that's on the show, I think. <laughs> I, I, I think he did have a voice in season one, if I recall. No! You should! He didn't say, he didn't say a damn thing and I rewatched the show today. Lack, so did can you I. Back me but... up you, Lack, Lack, can you back me up? He, did Dark Tiger say anything in season one? Because you have the freshest memory of it. I don't, I don't think so. Cause... Yeah. I'm just because I don't remember him showing up until season two, honestly. But well, he he, I, he was there in season one, but yeah, I don't remember him saying anything. He was yeah. decoration. He was he was mostly he was mostly had his voice boxes of Aaron's Bashida, and uh, Ian Sinclair's in the show too. 
Uh, we're not talking about him today, though. Uh, and yeah, Gigi is sad. And Gigi is sad. Oh, poor Gigi. Uh, and then the third person we're going to talk about is Yuki Riku. He is the adoptive father of Rei Riku, our main heroine. Um, and we also actually learned that he is the biological grandfather of our hero, Soigen Riku. Uh, he He's the head of this game tech company. Uh, who ends up murdered the, the, what is it? It was the same night as the shutdown of Dungeon Century, if I remember right. right. No, it was after. The launch of Grave. It was before, it was before the launch of Grave Buster. Grave Buster, uh, that's it. I hope you're taking yeah. notes, listeners out there, because there are this more convoluted. There are stories convoluted as all hell, but it's okay. Um, but we, well, the big Mind you, all this happens like halfway through the series. By the way, yes. so. oh yeah, yeah, it was the same night as shut down. Yeah. yeah, it was the same night as shut down. But um, the the big the big big thing we learn about Yuki Riku is um, he is one of the last known guardians, tomb guardians, and he passes that mantle on to Soigen, uh, in Grave Buster. So that uh, that Egyptian arc thing we keep talking about in season one, we get to see a bit more of Yuki, <laughs> even though more of a digitized version. Uh, he's a Digidustin. Uh, but anyway, the individuals, individuals voicing these characters as Yuki Riku, I'm going to start with him. Uh, that is good old Mr. John Sweezy, who has been in series such as Alice and Zoroku, the Black Butler franchise, and Soul Eater. As Dark Tiger, we have Ray Hurd, who has been in series such as Gosik, Tokyo ESP, and Overlord. And then Temujin. God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is great. Stop swooning. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, David Wald, who has been in series such as Code Realized, Drifters, and the Garo franchise. <laughs> Fucking Herman Louise. Uh, Best anyway. time. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going first. D- God damn it, David Wald. <laughs> D- Dilf yep. Wald. Dilf Wald, as we like to call him. Oh, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> shit. That was a callback to my episode. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. So, Temunjin is, who, who was saying this earlier? Lack was saying this earlier, where some of the bad guys are kind of this gimmicky, campy kind of goodness to them. David Wald is definitely the person who just, just displays that the most, I think. Uh, it's deliciously evil. It's kind of hammy and campy, and it's great. And it's like, oh, you don't like my hospitality, do you? It's like, oh my god, stop. <laughs> it's my it's my OC from my One Piece Bleach crossover fan fiction. <laughs> it's true. Um, but yeah, I is it's hard to not say anything very critical or bad about David Wall because. I don't usually see him in a bad role ever. So David Wall can do no wrong, huh? Basically, he's, he can't he do no wrong. I mean, fucking. Because I won't allow a second, another episode of, of Token Ramu because fuck that noise. I don't care. I have to talk about his character in Token Ramu. Ha- hash- hashtag Temujin did nothing wrong. Temujin did nothing wrong. Now that one's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, Temujin is one of the more campy villains, more hammy kind of villains, and David Wall will just chew the scenery, and it's fantastic and deliciously evil. Um, Ray Hurd, we need more Ray Hurd and things. 
I like hearing Ray hurt. I don't hear him often enough. Why is he not in more things? He, you, you could say he's not hurt enough? Oh. Oh, damn it, da damn it, like you beat me to it. <laughs> damn it. Shit. Um, no, because really the only other shows that I'm familiar with Ray Hurd in are Ghostsick and Overlord, actually. And thankfully, we, I got to hear more of him in Overlord as, um, who was he? He's Gazoff. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. But, yeah, like, for the amount of screen time that Dark Tiger has, or, or should I say the amount of dialogue that Dark Tiger has, uh... I think it works. He plays like the like lower baritone evil villain kind of well, uh, and I want to hear I I want to hear more of Dark Tiger obviously because we don't see him enough, um, but I I also want to hear Ray Hurd more things, and then good old John Swayze. Good old John. <laughs> can't Swayze. say a bad thing about John Swayze. No, you can't say a bad thing about John Swayze. The dude is motherfucking Lord Death and Soul Eater. Yeah. And you can't say a bad yeah. Yes. And he's friggin' father, right? Hmm? He was father, right? In Full Metal Alchemist? Uh, he was... Oh, yeah, he was... Wasn't he... He, he took over Hohenheim in Brotherhood, I think, right? Oh. Oh, he was Hohenheim. Okay. I think... The father. Oh, Ken, Ken Williams was father. That's right. I'm sorry. I about to say, I think John Swayze took over as Hohenheim for Brotherhood. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell Don't you quote me on it. Don't quote me on it, though, because I haven't seen Brotherhood. Um... And there goes a lot of people like, why have you not seen Brotherhood? Why, why, why? In the okay. comments, like, watch It's okay, I haven't finished it, and I own the whole damn thing. I own it too, which makes it worse. Um, but anyway, John Swayze is Yuki Riku. Yuki is an interesting... Yuki plays to two different kinds of John Swayze characters that you normally only see one extreme or the other, where you have the serious, like, old man, like... Well, old man tone of voice, where it's, um... What's the perfect example here? Allison Zoroku is actually a good example here. Where, um, Zoroku is, like, this grouchy, kind of, like, stern old man. Like, why are you doing this? You, you, you can't do this. Go to bed. And then, after he dies, and we see him in Gravebuster for that Egyptian arc malarkey, we see more, a character that's more reminiscent of Undertaker and Black Butler and Lord Death to an extent in Soul Eater, where he's more of this fun-loving grandpa, like, call me Gramps one more time, soy again, it makes me so happy. Like, it's two different extremes that you usually only see one side of. You know, you, you kind of get what I'm saying? And it's kind of blended together rather well. It probably helps that the game version of Yuki Riku is obviously a digitized version of like his thoughts and memories and how he feels his personality is compared to the real world one and it's very interesting how that kind of melts together in a sense um but all three of these performances I, I like a lot they they're they're a mix of fun they're a mix of campy and they're a mix of why the fuck do I not hear more of Ray Hearn why the fuck is this not a thing right now um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, who wants to go next with their thoughts on these three? Oh my. David Wald, you make shirtless, magical digital tattoo men seem like the most fun a person could have. I too would abduct the heiresses of, villain, of billionaire video game companies if I could get away with it to have half as much fun as you do. That says uh, a little sorry, bit more about David you, Steves, than it does him. <laughs> I'm sorry, David Wald is a good time as Temujin. It's the sort of mustache twirling 
delightful villainy that makes plots go round. And hey, conflict is the agonist that makes all stories go. So hurrah, he's doing the story a favor by making stuff happen. Uh, as for Ray Hurd, oh, I really feel for you, Ray. You did as best as you could. Your character is so unexciting in this. You are stern and have serious things to say, but you'll wait because things haven't come to fruition yet. But uh, yeah, I would like to have heard more from you, Ray. But uh, yeah, for my money, out of this trio, John Swayze. Oh, John Swayze. You, the introduction of this character was what turned me around from just hating this series to enjoying hating this series. It was the... This character is so absurd. He is the grandpa who makes a billion-dollar video game enterprise and somehow has this convoluted scheme involving the Tomb Guardian energy or something that... It, it became Yu-Gi-Oh! at this point, and this character sold me on the sincere, campy nonsense that made this thing go. And, I'm sorry, uh, I love that you pointed out Yu-Gi-Oh! Because now I can only think about Yugi's fucking grandpa right well, now. Exactly! Well, like I, like I exactly. said, like, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for all the jiggly goodness in this anime, it could have <laughs> easily been on four kids. You did say that in the chat earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a kid's cartoon that was marketed towards eight-year-olds to sell this new video game. Oh my God. Yeah. And, yeah, John Swayze's role here, uh, I like this character for what he's worth. He's just uh, camp when he needs to be and then goes balls to the wall. I don't care. I'm a digital avatar with no responsibilities left. But, uh, yeah, John owned this, and I'm glad I could listen to him. Steve's quick question for you. Have you seen the dub of Gosick yet? I haven't. I haven't seen Gosick at all. You need to do that for two reasons. One, because Clifford Chapin is a crazy motherfucker and it's great. Because uh, he's directed it. And Ray Hurd. If you want to hear a really good performance from Ray Hurd and in a short amount of time, it's in Gosick. I'll have to get around to watching he, that. Yeah, he voices Leviathan, which is a character where most of the performance for him is more of a narration or a storytelling kind of thing. Mm. But he pulls it off so, so well. And Leviathan's probably one of my favorite roles that Ray Hurd's ever done. So, yeah, if anything, for Gosick, go watch the episode specific to um, Leviathan. Mm -hmm. And that'll give you a really good idea of how well he, he performs. Or, well, his acting style and how his performance is. I don't uh, doubt his talents, just that the stuff he had to work with. Yeah. It's, again, it's unfortunately in the case of Dark Tiger, it's the character <laughs> and how little he's there. Uh, who's next? I guess I'll go. Okay. John Swayze, he's pretty good at, as Yuki. I mean, it. John Swayze can do no wrong when it comes to voice it over. He can do no wrong when it comes to voicing any type of character, really. Ray Hurst, Dark Tiger, from what I remember, because I had a refresher today, Ray Hurst did pretty good in his role, it's just the character didn't have much to do. That's both the writing, not just the character. Uh, David Ward, however, I slowly think he started to become the male version of Mark of Yarr, because the thing about this is, mm -hmm. There have been so many shows I've watched recently where David Wald pops up. 
It's it, you're not wrong. He's been in a lot of shows lately. Case in point: Citrus, Hakata Tokatsu Robins, yeah, Love Trinibio and Other Delusions, Death to, March. To, to be fair, I, I'm not familiar with Death March, um, but but to be fair, with Robins and Citrus, it's really only like maybe two to three episode characters. So it's like small bit characters, but his voice is rather distinguishable that you it, can pick it, him it, out it, easily. It, it is very distinctive. Like, it's, I mean, if you thought Justin Brandon was the workhorse of fall 2016, he, he's been slowly taken over by David Wald. <laughs> like, I mean, the man doesn't know when to quit. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I don't blame him because more David Wald is never a bad thing. <laughs> that he's is true. Fantastic. Yeah, it's Gigi Wayne Test. But yeah, so he did a pretty good job for Temujin. Uh, we don't get to see him as much, but for what we do, it's always impressive to hear David Wald. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say. Okay. All right, Lack, I think that leaves you. All right, well, I'm going to start with Ray Hurd um, as a Dark Tiger because I actually think he did a fine job with the character. The character... Mm-hmm. The character was just a dumb, like like I said before, it was a dumb Yatterman type villain. So, you know, there wasn't much you could really do there. But if you're going to play a stupid, like, incompetent villain, you got to do it right. And I think Ray Hurd did a fine job here. And I really haven't heard him in much. I don't know if I've, I've gotten to him in the Overlord dub yet. Um, but, uh, he plays, how far in Overlord are you? Uh, I don't know, like episode four. Maybe. Okay, you have you haven't heard him yet. You, you you haven't heard him yet, but either you have or you're very close to. Okay. I'm um, I'm assuming season one, right? Yeah, season one. Okay, yeah. you're pretty close, I think. Okay. Well, um, either way, this was a great introduction of him for me. I mean, not, maybe not the greatest, but it wasn't a bad one. Um, now now Temujin, David Wald, David Wald, he's great. I mean, he's great in anything. He he can. He can play any crazy character given to him, play it completely straight or completely crazy. And Temujin is one of those cliche, hides-in-the-shadows type villains, and David Wald is just the perfect voice for that kind of character. I can't really see Temujin being played by anyone besides him. Maybe Robert McCollum, but I think David Wald is a better fit. Uh, And John Swayze is uh, Yukiriku. John Swayze could read Chinese fortune cookies and it would still be the most compelling thing I've heard in a year. <laughs> I like how we made this relevant. It's yeah, like I know. the phone book is it's fortune cookies. I love it. Yeah. Well, the fortune, like the phone book would be too long, but, uh, this is true. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, when you need a compelling old guy voice, you usually get John Swayze because he knows how to do that. Well, and he definitely doesn't hear. I mean, he made, Yuki Riku, a more compelling character than he probably actually is. Alright, I'm assuming you also have not seen Ghostic, so if that's the case... Yeah. If you want to hear a good Ray Hurd character, go see the Leviathan arc in Ghostic. Done. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, again, even though, even though Leviathan is mostly like a narration storytelling kind of role, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, performance no, is I get phenomenal. you. Uh, I think we're good to move on. Yeah. Are we right? Oh, God. The other conversation we are going to have for the evening. Oh, boy. So this next character, she's not paired with anyone, and there's a very good reason for it. So we're going to talk about the Collector. The Collector is a... She's a billion player who is in Grave Buster, uh, who essentially will just steal all your money, all your rare items, and leave you for dead. 
Uh, and it's hard to figure out, it's n it's difficult to figure out where her allegiance lies. Like, it's, it, from my understanding, she wants Precious destroyed. And she's helping Soigen to do that in a, in, in a weird way. Um, in a, uh, in a weird, weird way. way, yeah. That fucking... So that fucking slug dragon thing? Sausage dragon was... No, she's the most dragon. confusing aspect of the series in every way, shape, and form. Yeah. I think the other big thing that... And I rewatched it earlier, and I was trying to pay attention. So, did anyone notice in Season 1, when Dungeon Century was shutting down, you know that big monster that was, like, just destroying everything? Yep. Cthulhu. Have you noticed... Did you notice that it was in similar form to The Collector? I actually knew that was the collector from the announcement I, I heard. So. I How was it not obvious? The Honestly, I think it's implied. But there's something else that's implied for the collector, potentially. So, the collector is a very interesting situation. There are two voices for the collector. Uh, there was a change in the second season as to who the collector was going to be. So, in the first season, the voice of the Collector was actually Marissa Lenti, who has been in series such as Gamers, Nabok, and Real Life. And in season two, Cliff decided to make the decision to change the voice uh, because the, the Seiyu in Japan is also voicing another character who we're going to discuss later on. And for consistency's sake, he decided to put the actress who voices that character in as the Collector as well. So, the voice of the Collector for Season 2 is Miss Amberly Connors, uh, who has been in series such as Cheer Boys, 100, and Holy Night. So, some people probably think this is a weird decision that was made. So, if, if you look at the Collector and you look at the other character Amberly Connors plays, you kind of get maybe why this is. Yep, yep. You so... It, we're, we're, gonna, we'll, we'll just, we're just gonna say this right out. So... Amberly Connors also voices the lead heroine Ray Riku. We're gonna throw this out there right now. We're gonna talk about her performance as Ray towards the end, but I think the implication that is thrown in here is that Ray is the collector yeah. to some extent. Which um, doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> Welcome uh, to this show. Well, yeah. here's 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 my brain. Here's my theory. So, one, Temujin gives Ray. A um, one of those phones. Seabag, thank you. She he gives her one of those. There's that. But I think the bigger th theory that I think it is, you know how um, in the end of season two, when Soygen gets his memories back of what happened, you know oh, how yeah. um, Grandpa was explaining that that tree was taking like this energy from Ray to use yeah. to protect the world. I think that energy in its own way manifested in the collector. Oh, so it's like a Ventus Vanitas kind of thing. Kind of. That's my that's my theory yeah. of it, um, and it makes the most sense. Yeah, because um, why would Ray be pretending to be the collector? Exactly. There's yeah. no reason why she should be. Um, it might be implied that she is, and if it and if that's where the show decides to go with it, then why the fuck do you do that? I think that theory makes much Not more knowingly. sense. She's like this energy mass. Some of the circumstances line up, but I feel like that whole zapping of the energy excess energy thing that ray went through as a girl is what manifests in, into the collector but that's just my theory on it obviously we won't know for sure what the hell's happening but anyway so 
How do we feel about these two iterations of The Collector? I think we're putting too much thought into this. Uh, <laughs> yes, we are. We're putting, we're putting too much logic into this. We're putting more thought into it show. than the creators did. Yes, okay. yes, yeah, we yes. Are. My own take on it. Us? What, what do you think of the performances, though? No. I found that Marissa Lenti did a bang-up job to get, begin with, but uh, while it was an unusual decision for those who don't know all this uh, convoluted production history stuff, uh, Amber Lee Connors did a good job. You could tell she was enjoying playing the role, that there was a mm-hmm. lot. I, I have to admit, The Collector was one of my favorite characters because... The Collector is it's best the best I'm sorry. I, I will stand by that. She is the character Sorry. who has the most fun by wrecking things. <laughs> everyone else has this nice, neat little setup of what things are going to do and what, uh, where our little plot goes, and the collector comes in and ruins it all. Everybody and loves the Harley Quinn. She fucks up your shit, and she doesn't care. <laughs> she is like, the agent of chaos. And fundamentally, that means that all of these other characters who are trying to pretend that all of this means something, she just comes in and wrecks them and shoots them with guns that turns them into stuffed animals or hits them with a bullet that makes a... The sub still called it a sausage dragon, and I can't believe they got away with that. Uh, <laughs> I can't was. I can't believe they got away with that scene that I posted. <laughs> yes, yes. It was odious <laughs> and bizarre and... She's she's like stroking the the uh, the shaft of her gun in the middle of her cleavage. Yep, this is I character who does not I haven't believe seen anything in... that erotic in Food Wars. <laughs> I'm I need don't to wish to cast food version, wars. But get out a little. <laughs> I really yeah I I don't know why. This this show was made with such a four teenage boys audience in mind, but I'll own this. I'll give it to this character. She's enjoying herself no matter what she's doing. So kudos to you, uh, Marissa Lenti, for your bang up thing. But Amber Lee Connors, you had fun in this role. We can tell you had fun in this role. Good on you for sharing that fun with us. I'll go next. Okay. Um, I think one of the one of the things that I, for unfortunately on Amberly Connor's side of playing the character, is she didn't have as much to do as Marissa Linty did. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the collector a lot more in season one than we do season two, and um, yeah, it's true because I think we really only saw her in like what one scene. Yeah, and that I, I was really when only sausage dragon came into play, right? I really only remember <laughs> seeing her that one time. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's her Android eighteen voice. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, but um, I think they both did a perfectly good job i mean like it's again one of those situations where how do you play this character and i think going for a more deep kind of cheshire cat kind of way of playing it i think was a good way to do it um because that's essentially what this character is she's the you know she's the true neutral you know or the chaotic neutral right what she is and it's it's one of those things where when you have the chaotic neutral you have to think about how do you play this character and I think going for a more, like, mysterious kind of, uh, I may not know everything, but I'm going to act like I do kind of persona. And I think we got to see that more from Marissa Lenti than we did Amberly Connors. And I don't think that's Amberly Connors' fault. I think it's just the fact that she didn't have as many scenes. 
And I don't blame them for, for recasting, honestly, because I can kind of, I mean, if I was in, I, you know, like, if, <laughs> if I was in Clifford's position, I would probably do the same thing. I would be like, mm -hmm. you know, it's nothing against you, Marissa. I just feel like we need to be consistent for the character because I don't know what's going to happen. There, there's probably a reason why this, these characters are played by the same voice actress. And I feel like if we don't yeah. do that, it's going to bite us in the ass later on. Yeah. So... Yeah, uh, those, that's pretty much my feelings. Okay. Yep. Jamal, did you want to go next, or do you think... You yeah, yeah, I'll go next. Okay, uh, go so, so if you remember what I said earlier, where I say Dr. Cliff a few points, I'm just wondering if this was mandated, or if this was his choice to do that, because if this was his choice to do that, he probably could have ruled what could have been a potential plot point if this got picked up for a third season. To which I mean no ill will against you, Cliff. I'm just stating fact from opinion, that's all. As for the performances, Marissa Lenti in season one, she really had fun with the character. Like, she went batshit crazy. It was, it was more akin, because it was more akin to her performance in the real Rainbow Gate, to which I'm the only one that owns the goddamn Blu-ray. And I, I really want to do an episode on that badly, like, real bad. Anyway, yeah, because she plays a similar character who's also deliciously evil, but... With that character, you know, she just pretty much wants to take over Casino, whereas with the Collector, she just wants your money, but she also has other reasons for doing things. I, she could be helping Totems, we don't know. All I know is she's pretty much a lone wolf at that point. Mm -hmm. And in Season 2, <laughs> this is crazy, in Season 2, I think Emily Connors did her best Marissa Lenti impersonation. Even though the mm -hmm. character didn't get much to do, it was the character was more kind of subdued, and that's when uh, she kind of starts to show her true colors, what she's all about, instead of just being mm -hmm. a lone wolf. And showing up to help support Swigin, it, it kind of helped to expand the story a little more, as well as the change in the genre. So, mm -hmm. so I think they both did a pretty good job with what they were given. I, I really want to know more. You actually brought up a really interesting point in terms of the recast here. Because um, we don't know if it was mandated or if it was Cliff's decision. I, f I feel like if it was... M Here's the thing. I think it might be more on Cliff's end. Because one, he admitted that the casting change was more of a consistency thing. He didn't mention anything in terms of being mandated by... Uh, the producers in Japan or China in this case, um, but at the same time we, but at the same time he could also be leaving that a bit of information out. But the other part of it is like if it was a mandated thing, they would have done this in season one, <clears throat> unless they, unless unless China didn't know where the fuck this show was going. Yeah, wouldn't put uh, it past some production companies, but but um, I mean. I, th I think the decision was m made more on Cliff's end, and I mean, obviously, I understand the logic. Again, I understand the logic and the reasoning behind this, because there is a huge implication that basically the Collector and Ray are, in some form or fashion, the same person. I mean, it's entirely possible that it was just they look the same, and the animators thought that they were the same character. Yeah. It's, it's humanly possible, but I mean, I understand the change, and I'm perfectly fine with it. Uh, also, because once he 
once he did say that the change was made, he, he at least also said, yeah, don't worry, Marissa's going to be in here. We, we, t we talked about it. She's fine with it. We put her in a different role, though, and hence Nishikaze coming into play. Um, but in terms of the performances from both of these actresses, goddamn Marissa Lenti. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Again. Like, where did I write this note? Mar okay, this is my wording. Marissa is non Baka warden, but a lot cra but a lot crazier. <laughs> She's Momo, but crazier. Like Momo taken up to like a fucking eleven or something. And it's I love it. It's so much fun. Like her evil cackling and laughing at Swigan was just the greatest. I'm like, I love this so much. Um, Amberly Connors, I don't want I, I'm gonna disagree that she's pulling off her best Marissa Lenti impersonation, because I kind of have more of the impression that this is Amber Lee Connor's interpretation of Collector, which she does actually really well, honestly, um, from the from the little bit that we get to see. Because well, how Amber played it, it's it is this cunning and strategic individual. But there's a slight seductive tone to her as well. So it's a it's a little bit of a different interpretation than Marissa's, but it's just enough to make it her own. And I can really appreciate that a lot. Um, obviously, the question is going to be like if and when they eventually release Silver Guardian Home Video, if they're going to redo uh, The Collector in Season 1 with Amber, which... Which is an interesting case, because normally I would say it's going to be obvious that's going to happen, but since it's under two different directors at this point, uh, I don't know if Jade will go for it or not. I imagine she will, but um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but yeah, like both, both iterations of The Collector are fun to watch. Personally, I loved Marissa's more than Amber's, but that's more because we didn't get enough of Amber's version of The Collector. That's really the only reason why I love Marissa's more. Right. Um, but I appreciate how distinct and different the two performances are. Uh, and I have to give Amberly Connors her, her credit and respect for making The Collector, despite it being a short amount of time in season two, making it her own. Um, anything else before we move on? Nope. Except I think the collector was supposed to be the cosplay bait character. Probably. Well, some kind of bait. <laughs> God damn it. I'm keeping uh, a civil tongue in my mouth and moving on. Uh, let's see. So we're down. To, we have four characters left. Our final pair of the evening, though. Uh, it includes Lack's best girl. Damn right. <laughs> so Which we have one? <laughs> Actually, I, I do like them both, but but best but, girl but, is the one lower. So <laughs> I'm not gonna say a thing. Yeah, I know. Oh god, you did that. Um, so we have Farin, who uh, we brought up earlier when we were talking about Team Rocket. Uh, <laughs> she she is a part of this grave robbing trio in season one. However, the reason why we're talking about her now is she actually becomes more prominent in season two. Um, she ends up as the instructor for the, um, god, the tutorial stage. She ends up being one of the better developed characters, actually. And so. she is a, and she is a tack of, made out of PlayStation symbols. Yes. Yeah. Which does. was pretty cool, I had to admit. I did like that. Yeah, but, um, eventually what happens is she ends up being, 
uh, a part of Soigen's party, part of his team. So we get to see her more in season two because of that. Uh, and then we have uh, the wonderful, wonderful beast guide of Soigen's named Twin Star, <laughs> aka Lax Best Girl. <laughs> so Twin Star, she is um, this guide for Soigen in um, his sea bay, his phone. And um, she's an interesting case. Like, apparently she's a rare kind of guardian beast, in a sense. Uh, yeah, grave a beast. Grave beast, thank you. That's the yeah. phrase, that's the term I'm looking for. She has a humanoid form. She has this quote-unquote cat form where she splits yeah, into two I, furry puffballs. Yeah, I still don't balls. know what it was. But... And she's also a fucking dragon. <laughs> a two-headed <laughs> a two-headed jade dragon. So I don't know where this ha- where this came from, but she's also designated fan service. Um, though, though, God, Lack, what were you saying earlier? You love the fact that she loves to basically uh, screw that, that with scene so when so he's much. on the phone with her with uh, with Farron right next to him. I love that scene. I I know that it's stupid, campy trash, but, but I just I love it because <laughs> I just love it because of the fact that she just does not care. She wants to make him look like a total horrible pervert and that he just loves submissive girls and stuff like that and i love the fact that she just keeps going with it until he's just completely humiliated it was so. great so anyway the voice the individual actresses who are voicing these characters as foreign we have miss Brittany karbowski who's been in series such as gamers is this a zombie and soul eater and as for twin star we have monica rial who, who has been could have played her I know, right? Who has been in series such as Bacchano, The Devil is a Part-Timer, and My Hero Academia. Uh, There's a reason why I picked those three credits in particular. I try, because I may as well go first. Monica basically has to perform with three different voices. There's the humanoid version of Twinstar, and of course she has two different voices for the little puffy cat ball things. And... Each of those credits, I think, are, as far as I'm aware of, the closest to each of those distinguishable voices. So, Monica... God love Monica. If if, if no one... If anyone questioned her range before, shut the fuck up and sit yeah. down. Watch this show and she has to do three different voices for a single character. <laughs> yeah, that too. But it's it's insane, like... She has those three different voices, and it's so much fun. She's she's so much fun as the seductive humanoid, like. But but master, that's not what you said to me yesterday, last yeah. night. And then the little 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 ma- the puffy mascots, where it's like uh, Phil like, and Lil from Rugrats. Basically, <laughs> it really is. That's the best way to describe it, and it's really cute and adorable, and. She, Twinstar also doesn't get paid too enough for, for this bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> the humanoid form is just like, are you serious? Right well, now? she's the only one who can actually get something done in this series. But, yeah, you know. if the end of season one proved anything. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking gladiator. I mean, to be, to be fair, Swigan does kind of advance the plot, but she's the only one who gets anything done in season one. Pretty yeah. much. But um, yeah, like the vast amount of range that you that Monica has to pull pull off in like one single character in this one fucking show is great. 
and I love it to pieces. Twinstar is also a very fun character. She's probably one of my favorite characters too, though not my best girl because that, that is the fucking collector of a landslide. Uh, as for Brittany as Farin, Farin is rather spunky. Yeah. She's a spunky character. She's also rather snarky. Because Farin, Farin in season one doesn't get paid enough to deal with her Team Rocket buddy's bullshit. She, she was the Meowth of the trio. She, she was the Meowth of the trio, honestly. Yeah. But in season two, you are right, Black. She kind of gets more development going on with her. She deserved to be the main character, in my opinion. She deserved, but. yeah. She's, she's really spunky. She's really snarky at times. And she... Is a, she's also a really good counterbalance in season two to Soigen, since we're lacking in the Rei Riku department here, and um, having her interactions with Soigen and Soigen's personality, because Soigen is an interesting character in and of himself for an interest for a certain reason that I'll bring up later. But um, Brittany has Brittany had so much fun being the snarky little spunky little. Soon, unfortunately, Soon, she's, unfortunately, she's the dare day. She's the yeah. soon day. She's the soon day character in the show. Thankfully, it, it not all the time. So no, it doesn't not really all the get time. annoying. So she she is a smart. She, she's she how you're supposed girl. to write a soon day. She, so. she she she's she can hold her own rather yeah. well, um, and I love Brittany's performance as Farin. Uh, who wants to go next? I've talked I've talked so much. Maybe I should just go and get my stuff out of the way. So. Okay. Alright, um, so let me start with Twin Star. Yeah, I love the hell out of Twin Star. I, she's a better character than the show deserves. Um, as, as far as I'm concerned, Monica Real is the only person who could have played this character. I love mm -hmm. the hell out of Monica. She's one of my favorite voice actresses. Um, and I, in spite of the fact that I hate the cat ball form of Twin Star, yeah. I, Monica did the best she could with those characters, and the fact that she gives them kind of their own personality is a testament to how great of an actress she is. Not only the fact that she gets to use her normal voice for uh, for the girl form of Twin Star, which right. is another testament to how great of a voice actress she is. And I just love the personality she brought to the character. Um, she had a little bit of that, uh, of that uh, um, Michiko little sass that she brought yeah. to the character. Twin that, Star is sassy. Twin yeah. Star is sassy, but not to like the lower register extent that Michiko was. Right. It's not right. the full-fledged, it's not the full-fledged. She's a little smarter than Michiko, if I'm being honest, but, uh, to be fair, you're yeah. not far off. Yeah. I, I love Michiko, but she did some stupid shit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh um, but yeah, no, I, A plus plus for Monica Real as, as Twin Star. She was the perfect person to voice this character. However, I will say this about Farron. I think Brittany Kurbowski was the standout performance of this dub. Oh, okay. I, Interesting. I, I think that in, if this was a better anime, this would be one of the highlights of her career. Because mm. I think she was absolutely perfectly cast for Farron. Uh, I think she had the perfect voice for the character. And I think she brought a lot of personality to a character that could have been very flat. Um, hmm. but again, I think Farron also has the best character development out of anyone. I think she should have been the main character, but, um, I think that it was, it was really a perfect match of voice and character because when you look at Farron, it's Brittany Krabowski's voice that comes out. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I really, really genuinely think that. Like, if okay. we had done predictions, I might have actually said Brittany Krabowski. Okay. Um. I getcha. 
Yeah, but I'm not I'm not claiming to be psychic in any way. I, I could have said somebody else entirely. But um but yes, I genuinely think Farron is the standout performance of of the uh, entire dub. So Nice. Yeah, that's me. Alright, who's next? I'm on a similar case here for both these characters. Farron was spot on, the bratty kid's sister to Sugan. Uh, how do you say Soigin? That's it. I'm reading that list here. I found that she had that. Uh, she had the again that sarcasm, that snarkiness, the unwillingness to put up with the nonsense going around her, while still having that getting coming off. This is a kid still at the end of the day. She played it well, and I appreciated that uh, role. I'm fully on board with Yalak. She probably was the most complex character in this show, and good on you. And as for Twin Star, I love Monica Rail. Monica, I am so glad to hear more of your adult voice. Every time I get a chance to suggest her as a character, it's like, I want to hear more adult Monica Rail. And she nails it. The She does the cutesy-poo stuff all well and nice, but actually getting a chance to play like an adult and do some of her more uh, playful, seductive voice is something really, really good to listen to. I, th I find her ability to have fun with with her adult voice is one of her best thing, one of her best uh, features in this dub. And while I don't play best girl games. I can certainly understand why she would be someone's favorite character. Well, it's kind of an interesting pairing you have here, because you have essentially a duality, I guess a triality of performances. Trinity. <laughs> You're not wrong! <laughs> yeah, because... Two back and split. Like... No. Anyway, starting with Fed, uh, Brittany Karbaski does the spark really well. She really does get the energy up. And I should know because she kind of reminds me of another character I may be covering for a classics episode. I don't know yet. But mm. she can handle Spunk very easily. As for when she is actually able to change her tone, when she plays Reed, the, uh, the adult version of herself, mm, the remote yes. version of herself. The sh she went Naruto and made a shadow clone. <laughs> She went all Naruto. It's Shadow Clone Jutsu, bitches. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, she she really like just apped it up. Puberty like, no Jutsu. Yeah, she apped it up to love it, and she was able to keep the anger very well, the intensity, mm -hmm. and just turn it up. Like it's kind of crazy because you don't really hear Brittany Karbowski do that kind of role often, but for him, she mm -hmm. really does work as Farid. And like you said, like she does get a lot better development. Yeah, she's kind of the only one who does. So. Yeah, yeah. And uh, going going into uh, Monica Real, I for her cat forms, I don't really have a problem with the cat forms. You know, what mm -hmm. I mean, I would say it's just Monica Real doing her thing. But one of them, and I like the fact you pointed out my hero academic because one of them did sound like Suyu. Exactly. One and of them the, uh, is essentially Suyu. And the other sounds like a traditional voice, but when she goes into her adult voice, mm -hmm. and then her adult voice, she sounds like... <laughs> she... <laughs> yeah! Her adult voice and her adult voice. Her adult voice. Like, she... Ooh, baby. She, li 
<laughs> we love you, Monica. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she was the one that caused the raiding bed, by the way. That's right! <laughs> she did! <laughs> yeah, because I... Because she used a combination of a big girl voice mm -hmm. and what's normally identified as a traditional voice to just mm -hmm. come up with this voice. Which I learned recently, it may be her voice nowadays. I'm not sure. Maybe she had a cold. I saw her in a video recently. I'm not sure that's her new voice now or... How long ago was this? Uh, last season. Mo Monica's natural voice is actually pretty high. It's actually yeah, her natural I, voice no, is pretty no. high. It's just that she posted a video on Twitter where she, she was taking a season off riding it. That this was the same exact voice I heard. Hmm, okay. So, huh. so that's so it could be maybe she had the cord at that time, I don't know. But yeah, Monica she was able to pull off three characters very different and very well. And I know some people have trouble triple casting, but in this situation it kinda called for it. Right. It definitely calls for it. Yeah, so but, and all around, these two did a very good job. Nice. All right. Are you ready to move on? Because we only have two characters left. Great. Oh, yeah. All right. So the next person we're going to talk about, we are going to talk about Rei Riku. She's the adoptive father of Yuki Riku, uh, in the sense this heiress kind of girl. Uh, but she's a big nerd because she likes playing games, even though she sucks at them. Uh, and then after the death of her adoptive father, she ends up being kidnapped by Totem and is essentially held hostage or, again, as Temujin likes to say, under their protection. Uh, and as previously That's not creepy sounding at all. No. Especially not those images that Temujin sends. I know. It was, like, it was like the Joker. It was like Barbara Gordon in the Killing Joke picture. It was like, yeah. what the hell is this? I, yeah, let's be afraid from talking about the Killing Joke, please. Yeah, yeah let's not. Yeah. Um... But anyway, the individual voicing this wonderful character, we talked about it before when we were discussing the collector, uh, Miss Amberly Connors. She has been in series such as Citrus, Hakata, Tonkatsu Ramens, and Keijo. Uh, who would like to go first in their thoughts on Amberly Connors' performance of Ray? I guess I'll go first since I'm more familiar with her work. Yeah, but uh, say I'm not familiar with Amberly Connors. You're probably the most familiar out of all of us. Yeah, because this came out, I think this, oh shit, what was it? I know it came out the same season as a lot of other shows she was in because I kind of made a slight running joke where she played a lot of redheads and a lot of pink-haired characters. <laughs> Let me double-check what season this was. Can You can continue, but I'm just going to pull up what season I think was. it was last break because Girls Be Boys came out at the same time. I will, excuse me, I will check that. Give me one second. Give me one second, but you can keep going. Yeah, so Amber has a, a a natural kind of pitchful voice. Like she can speak soft and sound either seductive or cutesy. To which I really think she did a very good job in this role. And, you know, she can be kind of fluffy when she wants to be. You know, and I also learned in the same season she can also be dangerous when she wants to be because she was also a love tyrant. Holy shit! Uh, but that's not the point. The point is, Abba brings a lot of uh, sincerity to the character. She she really understands the affection she has for Swigan. Although, that was kind of a convoluted plot, finding out that he was the masked guy in Dungeon Century. Like, come on, the game shuts down. How, you, how can you even tell that's him? That makes no fucking sense. Side note, you are right. The first season of Silver Guardian was spring 2017, so the same season as Love Tyrant. 
Yeah, she played the she played a lot of redheads in that season. Also, Eric this make you a scary bad for casting her in Sugumomo because she, oh god. Oh yeah, Sugumomo was also that same season. If if you if you ever want to see creepy Emily Carter's performance, watch episode seven. I guarantee you, you're not gonna feel the same way. But yeah, yeah, she she really she really does good with a lot of sincerity when given the chance. And I think I'm gonna pass it on here. I I really like Amber Lee Connors as a uh, voice actress. Um, I think just part of the problem was Ray's not really in the show that much. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, um. I, again, this is Amber Lee Connors has the worst luck in this friggin' show. Like, um, the all the characters she plays don't really show up that much. Wait, you say she has the worst luck in this show? Well, in terms of being cast, you should see Rio Rainbow Gate where she has the best luck in this show. <laughs> yeah. Zing. But but the thing is, is that it, it's just like it, it sounds good. Like I, I'm, the, she is a great choice for this character. Um, it's really hard to. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a taboo word here. It's uh -oh. really hard to like be able to judge a damsel in distress character. Mm. So like especially like one who we really don't see that much. Like I haven't. Friggin' watch an anime with a damsel in distress since the friggin' beautiful Joe anime. Like, it's it's really difficult to be able to judge a character like this, but at the same time, going off the scenes that she's in, she does a really bang up job. Like, mm -hmm. she really she really sells the whole aspect of her leaving as best as she, or the, or her being kidnapped as best she can. I um yeah, I mean there's. She she definitely was more in her higher register for this one. Okay. Than, uh, and um, I, I it almost sounded like Alexis Tipton in some places. I'm not gonna lie. Um, hmm. Hmm. Interesting. For me, it did. But um, but yeah, no, I I think she did a great job. I just find the fundamental issue is that it's really she's not in the series all that much. Like we see her more in the in the in her chibi form. In the video game, than we ever see her out of it. Yeah, that was kind of cute, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, we get we get more of an the idea. Game, the video game stuff early in the series was one of the better aspects of the show, in my opinion. Yeah, we get to see more of Ray in like at least the first half of the first season, and then kind of disappears. Yeah. Yeah, Sneeves, did you want to go next, or did you want to go? Next? Yeah, 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 my. I can't really say anything that isn't adding to what was already said by the others, but okay. that performance was excellent, and I commend Andrew Lee Connors for having the ability to bring that earnest sincerity to the role, but uh, she doesn't get much to do. It's a mm -hmm. curse of a lot of the characters in this. Uh, they're either little small bits who show up here or there whilst are the plot seems to revolve around uh, Soigen, or uh, they have nothing much to build on. In her case, I found that the damsel in distress bit was expertly cast in that, yeah, she's going to be, she's bringing that, the role of the damsel in distress character is supposed to be someone who is emotionally compelling so that when their agency is completely taken away, the protagonist, and by proxy the viewer, 
feels that pathos to want to see them helped. And I can see that coming along with this. She brought that life to that role. She doesn't get to do anything else with that. Curse of the writing, curse of the show. And I'm very sorry for her for not being able to do more. Uh, in the first season when she was initiated into that cult and they gave her the magic cell phone that uh, totally made me think of Yu-Gi-Oh! and that there's suddenly a secret <laughs> occult conspiracy involving a cult of cell phone video gaming playing people who are trying to uncover the lost secrets of this, I thought, ah, maybe she's getting a chance to play a villain. And with that potential conspiracy slash fan theory involving the collector, who knows? Uh, but so far, for what her limited range was, good job of Amber Lee Connors. I cared about your character when I, by all rights, really shouldn't have. Good on you. Side note, I like how you talked about the initiation thing. <laughs> uh, can we talk about the purification for a second? Where she's yeah. in a goddamn pool and is being cleaned by mermaids for some yeah. goddamn reason. <laughs> yeah, something yes. about that sounds fishy, you know? <laughs> it was like, gross as all hell. <laughs> it was My gross. Fibers, darling. But it was funny. I, I'm sorry, the whole thing... It went from, I feel revulsion at how this show treats its female characters, to, oh, there it is being pants on head stupid again, where there's a cell phone cult involving people trying to win this newly released video game for yeah. reasons that are far too stupid to explain. Yeah, Steve, I'm not going to lie. There, there were some times when I was watching this show and I was like, do these creators hate women? Yes. Like, oh, yes, they do. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> anyway. So, would you guys believe me if I said that this is actually my introduction to Amberly Connors? No. No kidding, really. <laughs> yeah, because, um, because I think, what was it? Keijo was, like, at least a season or two before this, if I'm right. Uh, I didn't watch yeah. Keijo. You have good taste. This, good job. This is actually not your first introduction to her, because didn't you do a Chair Boys episode? <laughs> Fuck you, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I guess my first, the, my I guess first introduction was... Dragon Ball Z abridged. I guess, I guess the better way to describe it is like this is my first time really noticing who Amberly Connors is. That's probably the better way to describe it then. Um, and going into this, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. It's weird. It's an interesting choice because it's an, an, an actress who, at least at that point, wasn't utilized that much or that often. To be fair, in that god in the spring season, she was like in a lot of places. Um, but I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. It's very interesting. It's very different. Um, going back into it now, though, and this is me after seeing a few other shows, specifically, though, uh, Hakata Tonkatsu Ramens and Citrus, of all things, where I'm kind of like, okay. Now that I'm a bit more familiar with her range and her and her acting, I actually really like her as Rey. Uh, she's really cute, and she's rather perky, which is adorable. And yeah, this is probably one of my earlier introductions to her, and um, it's not... Obviously, I don't think this is her best work. I think s some shows that happened after the fact definitely improved upon a bit more and as a matter of fact if I had to pick between her performance as Rey and her performance as the Collector which I enjoyed more it's the Collector 
ironically enough, but her portrayal of Rey is, it's also very stereotypical, like, like you guys are saying, she's the damsel in distress. That's really what her character is at this point. And Amber, what Amber does with it is very, is, is well done. I, I like the fact she's a damsel in distress. I like the fact that she's this kind-hearted girl. She doesn't, she's not the stereotypical heiress rich girl, for sure. So breaking the character mold there, which is nice. Um, but yeah, she's this, she's this kind, gentle soul. She wants to get to know Soy again, regardless of his circumstances, which is really nice. Um, and she just sucks at playing video games. <laughs> like, she really does, and it's pointed out rather often that she sucks at playing video games. But, um, yeah, Amberly Connors, I think, is a good performance. It's not one of my favorites. It's definitely an early introduction to, for me, into her work. Uh, but it's still a good performance, regardless. Uh, I think we got one more character. Oh, Are we good? Yep. We good? ready we? for this one? Let's do it. I completely yeah. forgot they existed. Oh, no. You and I are going to have fighting words. Oh, no. I did not forget they existed. I'm sorry, <laughs> you can't hear my smug grin right now. God damn it. All right. So our last character we're going to discuss, of course, is our lead, our hero, Mr. Soigenriku. He goes to, for some stupid reason, reason he's in, he's, he goes to a pretty good private school despite being broke is all well they do hell. kind of explain he does like part-time jobs around the school that's so. the thing he does like so many fucking part-time jobs it's not even funny like he'll clean a cemetery he cleans he's a lifeguard for a pool he washes dishes <laughs> he's like a he's like um a landscaper yard keeper see what happens when you have a society that causes wealth stratification if soy could ever decide to become an actor he'd be blessed bogus Oh my god, that, it's kind of true, because <laughs> Bryson's all over the place, oh shit. Anyway, um, but uh, like we were kind of talking about before when we were discussing Yuki Riku, uh, Soigen, he he meets Rei through this game, uh, he kind of gets a crush on her, uh, the game is shut down, Yuki Riku ends up murdered that same night, uh, and he receives this the Seibei from Rei, and to an extent from Yuki, and we find out uh, that Soigen is the biological grandson of Yuki Riku, uh, and has this enormous inheritance. It went in of the east on us, and for some reason he has 10 billion fucking yen on this goddamn phone. Um, and he doesn't know what the fuck to do with it. <laughs> um, but it. But essentially he is the last guardian of, the last tomb guardian of this world, and he has to fight to protect the world, as well as, at least at, up until this point in the show, he has to get Rey back. Because, I'm not gonna lie, the beginning of the series in general, Soigen is a fucking badass. And we <laughs> don't see it again <laughs> right now, and it's depressing. Um, and keep in mind, this all is supposed to take place in a video game. Correct. Don't. Don't get me started. We'll save it till after this character, but I have save, words to say. Yeah. Oh, alright. So the individual who is voicing Soigen Riku is one Kyle Phillips, who has been in series such as My Hero Academia, Cheer Boys, and The Disastrous Life of Psyche K. And if I am correct, this is his first leading role. Yep. 
So, it is interesting. Who wants to go first on first on their thoughts on Kyle Phillips' swigging? I will say right up, this is what your affable leading character should sound like. Sorgen is the everyman who's down on his luck and trying so hard to make his way in the world until circumstance happens to land him with the girl of his dreams and a billion zillion dollars and all of these things literally landing in front of him. And those types of characters who earn nothing aside from just having a good heart can be really, really insufferable. But Kyle Phillips does a bang-up job in trying to infuse Zorgan with that like uh, I want to keep on saying likable, but that uh, unpretentious, well-intentioned, and mm. well-meaning warmth yeah. that I find really yeah. uh, helps sell me on this guy. I still can totally see the writers practically breaking their arms to try and bend the world to make sure all of these cool power-ups just happen to land in his lap. But for, in spite of that uh, wish-fulfillment fantasy without any filtration, mm -hmm. Kyle Phillips gives uh, Soygin that okay. relatable guy-next-door caliber that... Uh, that worked for me and made me go, you know what, Kyle, good on you. Uh, I guess I'll go, but uh, you gotta address him by his true name, though. Who the fuck is Kyle? No, pork chop sandwiches! What? It all makes sense in a later episode. Okay, I'll take uh. your word for it. Yeah, so, I was actually kind of, it was a refreshing take on it. Leading character, because I've never really heard Kyle the leading role before. Yeah. <coughs> and given the age of uh, character, it was it was kind of fitting, to be honest. Cause, mm -hmm. But to me, Kyle Phillips is kind of an anomaly, because even when I hear him in a role, there is sometimes his voice kind of deviates to where I can hear either Vic Mignogna when he's screaming, or Eric Dismuke in his lower ranges. Really? I, I, I did notice a little bit of... Aaron, like, sometimes when I heard him talk. Okay, yeah. that's interesting you say that. I didn't think about that. Yeah, so it's kind of unusual. And you can't but... cast Aaron Dismuke as all the protagonists. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that is, that is true. <laughs> no, but... I loved it so fucking much! No. <laughs> I'm glad that Jade gave him his first opportunity. Yeah. So I really hope at some point in the future, he does get more of leading roles. Maybe better shows, though. Okay. Black, did you want to go next, or do you want me to go next? Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, okay. My, my thoughts about Kyle as, uh, as, as Suicune are... Uh, Suicune? God damn it. Uh, are, are pretty simple. Um, Kyle didn't quite sell me on the character at first. Uh, I mean, it's it's nothing personal. I just... I just didn't feel like his voice necessarily fit the role at first. But as the series progressed, he he got into it. And I started to, to see how his voice fit into the character of Sweegan. Um, uh, you know, he's he's got... His voice is a little on the normal side for me. It, it, it It's kind of like an everyday kind of voice. And there's nothing wrong with that. That fills roles for a lot of great anime that are more... Are, are more realistic. But... Mm -hmm. 
and uh, for for sometimes for more shown in the anime, I sometimes feel like you gotta have a little more of a unique voice to be a protagonist. But I absolutely get why they cast him, and I thought he did a really good job for what he was given. And he, he really tried his hardest for all the different kinds of scenes. When he was embarrassed, when he was trying to be heroic, when he was sad. And it all really came together really well. And I think he really came into his own in season two more than he did season one. Okay. So that's, that's pretty much my simple thoughts about it. So. Alright, so for those who may not have seen the dubbies from last year... Uh, I actually gave Kyle Phillips one of my awards for underrated performance of the year for Soigen. Because, <laughs> I mean, not going to lie, and this is no offense at all to Kyle Phillips, I never thought that he would be able to pull off a lead character. Not going to lie. Um, but he, he proved me wrong with Soigen, and Soigen's a very interesting case because they're... Soiken, in, in his own right, has his own duality to him. He has his in-game persona and the reality, which is brought up several times, where in the game, he's very confident, he's very knowledgeable, he knows what he's doing, and he's okay with being interactive with other people. In reality, he's much more introverted to an extent. He's very closed off, he's a bit of a shut-in, he works like crazy, and he's he said this himself very early on um, when talking about having a, some kind of relationship with Ray, where he can't because she's she's more of like a star, and he's just a, in the background. He's not someone that Ray should or would associate with because he's not this rich guy. He works so many jobs, and seeing this duality that Kyle has to portray is very interesting. I enjoy it a lot. And I'm going to agree with Black. He came with, he came into the role, he came into his own much more in season two. Yeah. Um, but more because we also saw, got to see more of his in-game personality. But some of his out-game personality too actually improved as well, I think. With um, the interaction that... Um, when he first meets Farron, and they're in the uh, the the diner cafe, and um, these jackass guys are hassling him about not having money, he's like, "Oh, well, oh, we can transfer money on the Seabay. Cool. You got Bitcoin. <laughs> got Bitcoin. It works." <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many reasons why I think this was an underrated performance, and honestly, the role that this reminds me of so much is Kaminari in My Hero. <laughs> this is very similar in tone to Kaminari. That's very true. It is very true. Or as Megan likes to refer to him lovingly as is Derp Lightning. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's great. I appreciate the fact that he did get this opportunity to try out a lead character and I would be more than willing to hear him as another lead character um also in a better show but um that's neither here nor there but it's definitely in terms of performances it's not a standout one but it's definitely underrated and one that kind of flies under the radi radar and not many people would think of it unless <coughs> you really pay attention to it and hence why i gave him one of my awards last year and why i still think it's a very underrated performance that people 
should get the chance to see because he does get to uh, work on work with his range and you kind of get to see him develop a bit more um, as both as Soigen develops but I kind of feel like he develops more as an actor himself by taking on this kind of character in this lead role so yeah I really enjoyed Kyle as as Soigen uh, we need more Soigen in our lives because Soigen is a doof he's a little dweebo it's great uh any and, other th- and can we have a light novel where Farron's the main character <laughs> god damn it you're not wrong uh yeah. Any other thoughts on Soigen, or do we want to move into final thoughts? No, he's a lovable. He's a lovable everyman protagonist, and mm-hmm. this is a this is one of those performances that won't win the awards, but will gain the notice from right. some of the people in ca- uh, in casting. Good mm-hmm. job. You have definitely proven your uh, your chops there, Kyle. Let's see you in a few more star roles in the future, eh? Mm-hmm. Hey. Also, also, Derp Lightning's back because we have my hero right now, and I'm very happy. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> he's, D- he's, Denki's a good boy. Denki is such a good boy. They're all good boys, and they're all good girls, too. Yeah. There's not a bad one in the bunch, though. Except Mane. Oh, Bakugo. Fuck you, no! Bakugo is best boy. Fuck you. Um, I'm not having this war right now. This is a all conversation right. for another day. Final thoughts. Who wants to go first for their final thoughts on the dub of Silver Guardian? I wouldn't have been able to make through this show were it not for the dub. I... This show is so stupid. This is such a poorly written show in terms of who thought these events would make sense in sequence? Who would cause some of these things to happen with that explanation? Not me. But adapting the material they have I found myself weirdly enjoying this bizarre kid show on drugs mentality that uh, we happened to get. Josh and Clayton, thank you very much for making the script what it is. Uh, Jade, Cliff, and Tabitha, I appreciate everything you've done here. And to the entire cast, I had way more fun with this stupid thing than I ever thought I could. So I'm never going to come back to the show. But I'm grateful to have heard some of these performances. All right, who's next? Uh, I'll I'll go next because I'm probably gonna echo some of what Sneeb said. Um, I don't like this show. <laughs> I did not think it was good at all. Um, but I, that is not a reflection at all the the performances of some of these uh, of of these actors. In fact, I think they deserved a better show. Uh, I think some of these characters deser- deserved a better show. If I'm being honest. Um, uh, I know that this is kind of difficult because this is China getting into the anime world, and that's going to have some rough edges to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I I would say it's not the worst start you could possibly have, but um, I do think that that they need to improve after a while. And in fact, I think they need to stop trying to be like Japan, honestly, for mm. for their anime because. Uh, if you look at, like, the Doomfist trailer that um, Wolf Smoke Studios did, or whatever, I, I forget what they're called, um, but the, the Doomfist uh, trailer for for Overwatch, that was done by a Chinese animation studio, and that was an amazingly animated thing. And I, I, I appreciate that it did kind of have an anime feel, but it was unique. And I feel like China needs to be able to embrace their uniqueness as a culture and how they want to animate instead of just trying to be anime. 
Because mm -hmm. okay. I, I, I think America needs to do the same thing, too. I think, you know, we shouldn't try to be anime because there already is anime. We should do what we're good at. And China should do what they're good at. And I guess that's just kind of, it reflects in, I just don't really care for the series. So, yeah. That's... You don't care for the series, but the dub itself is... The dub itself is good. Yeah, okay. it's good. Yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jamal, how, what are your final thoughts on The Silver Guardian? I guess I'll service the in-between. I thought this show was pretty serviceable. I thought it was pretty good. I was, to me, I was worried it might end up being another Divide Gate, which ironically Cliff directed Divide Gate. Oh, the irony. How far yeah. we have come, ladies and gentlemen. And as convoluted as the story comes off, it, it at least makes better sense than Divide Gate. <laughs> it's true. Honestly, I was going to be that guy and say there's a better SAO, but I... I Log Horizon is the better SAO. Honestly, to me, I think you have to care about RPGs to even make that argument. True. But I don't, and I don't really care about either show. Really. Anyway, so yeah, the animation side, because I know Lax said that China should do its own thing. They do have, I think, one particularly good anime. That's on e-games, but that's not been dubbed or anything. Or yeah. Been dubbed. I, I, I still need to see that one, but it did look pretty good. And between and between Highlighters, this is probably a better animated show and better told than a centaur's life, which I never mm. really finished. Okay. As as for the dub itself, you know, it's just actors having a fun time with the material because it's not as good as you think it is, and they know it's not as good as they think it is, so it probably just gives them a chance to cut loose. You know, put people where you never thought to expect them before. I mean, uh, except for the end of season two, of course, Jerry Jewel was going to be that psychotic character. <laughs> no one but Jerry Jewel can be that psychotic yeah, know, right? monkey. It's the best. Yeah, Chris Gavell being the big baddie. Oh, Aslan. Oh, and, and J. Michael Tatum doing this weird high-pitched voice. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, it took me a second, but I was like, holy shit, that's J. Michael Tatum. Yep. Like, I've never heard him do this register before. It's yep. crazy. It's great. Yeah, so, you know. I mean, when they get bad shows to work on, it just gives them a, a fun time to have. And mm -hmm. I, it really does show the end product. And uh, I, I, I seriously want to know if, like, Jane wanted in on this because it, it had a lot of sincerity in the first season or... If she really wanted to play a cat. I know it's the former, but I just would like to think it's the latter just <laughs> to amuse me a little. Cat. But anyway, yeah, back to what I was saying. So the staff did a pretty great job. Even if it changed over, the total shift is kind of minimal. Unless it comes to the genre shift, and that's a different story. Jade and Josh did their thing. Cliff and Clayton did their thing. And Tabitha helped too. I think everybody involved did a great job. I would say, if you want to watch the show yourself, that's on you. Mm -hmm. Just just give it three episodes of the dub before you decide to just throw it out. Because I can tell you right now, even the comedic aspects of this is a lot better than the comedic aspects of Hardakun. Because I do not like Hardakun, and I think this was a much better comedy at points. Like I said, looking at the, uh, looking at the manhwa and its style, I feel like Gainax would have been a better studio for it. 
But or, or JC Staff. Or JC Staff, yeah. Yeah, so. They love their boobies. So, <laughs> you know. You're not wrong. Oh, God. All, all the true facts are being stated right now. Uh, are you good, Jamal? Yeah, very good. Okay, that leaves me. I am also one of the few people who finds this show to be okay, and I don't downright hate it. Uh, as dumb as the show itself tends to be at times. Um, that aside, though, <laughs> the dub is very unexpected in many ways. This was my introduction to- this is an introduction for me on different fronts. It was my introduction to Jade as a director. It was one of my larger introductions to Amberly Connors as an actress. Of course, this is our first time seeing Kyle Phillips as a leading character. Uh, and first time for a variety of other things. It, the stuff itself is solid. It's a very solid effort. Like Jamal was saying, even when the staff staffing of the seasons changed hands, there wasn't a huge shift in tone and consistency in the show. Again, the only big change of anything was the collector changing voices. That's it. And again, I noticed some things in particular in terms of the script and the differences between Josh and Clayton. But like, that's just me being very nitpicky and paying attention a lot more to those kinds of details. Um, if you're just a casual viewer or casual watcher of anime in general, you're probably not, you're not really probably going to pick up on that change. So you'll be perfectly fine. But it's a, for a dub for a show that the show itself is not something to write home about. The dub itself is rather solid and very enjoyable. It makes me want to see more from these actors. It makes me want to see more from the staff that's involved, which of course, since season one came out, we have seen more from the staff. Uh, minus Clayton and Tabitha on my end though, because I haven't seen Sudeiduri Children because she's a full director there. It's solid all around, honestly, and it makes me want to see Kyle Phillips as another leading role at some point in time. Please make that happen, please. Please, 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 please. That'd be awesome. And, uh, yeah, I think that's really about it. Are there any other thoughts before we finish for tonight, or are we good? Uh, I think we're good. Can we get a I moment so to acknowledge just how badly designed this game is? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into the mechanics of yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, can we at least get the, the literal dick measuring contest where the sword is how much money you have, which is how big your dick is? Yeah. I'll show you yours and show me mine. Let's like I said, it's really long. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that right now to completely debase myself. This show does I mean, have sword as penis. There's a lot of penis analogy. in this series. Oh, thank God Jade was not the second season in that oh, case. I, I refer I refer back to the cleavage gun stroke. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. If you That's some economic stimulus for you. Anyway. Yeah, there's stimulus, all right. Oh, God. Bye, anyway, before, before it derails too much farther, if you are interested in seeing The Silver Guardian for yourself, you can check out the English dub on Funimation.com with their Funimation Now service. Uh, it is a subscription service, so you will, if you are interested, they do have a 14-day free trial. Uh, but as always, you are gonna. If you're not interested in keeping it after the 14 days, you need to cancel the subscription because they do ask for credit card information at sign up, and they will pull money from your account. Though, however, as all of us can probably speak 
for on a regular basis, it's well worth it to catch so many, so many hours of English of, of anime goodness. Uh, if you want to see the buying the Blu-rays, that's for damn sure. Uh, if you're interested in checking out the show in general or in the Japanese, the series is up on Crunchyroll. They do offer a subscription service as well. However, it is not required to have a subscription service to see the Silver Guardian uh, because it does, you're not behind the one-week payroll thing as the show airs. Uh, if you are interested in anything else that we do here, uh, y y of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review with review being spot R-E-V-U-E, where I post random shit on a daily basis. If you're interested in anything that Jamal does, you can follow him on Twitter at Jamstar529. Uh, Sneebs is Uncle Azrael. Uh, where you can find him, and Lack is at Lack the Watcher, where he does a lot of different things, probably much more shit than the rest of us do on a regular basis. Uh, <laughs> let's be I, real anime here. Anime reviews right now, you know. But. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if Jamal or Sneeves really have any other side projects that they want to... Yeah, I hope you edit. Aside from Dub Talk, Jamal. Yeah, it's not really a side project. That's not really a side project. <laughs> That's just being a part of the podcast at this point. Which, by the way, if you are interested in anything else that Dub Talk does in general, of course, the best way to do so is just following us here and subscribing to our YouTube channel where we post new episodes uh, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, depending on what's going on. Um, sometimes more than that, because this coming week after this is being recorded, I need to get the AB stuff done. <laughs> but uh, there's that. And you can also follow us on various social media platforms. We have a Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and a Twitch account all at Dub Talk Podcast. Uh, so with that being said, I believe we are done for the night. Any any final words to send us off with, boys? Uh, Jade Saxton's probably going to retweet this because if you know Jade Saxton, she's going to Google Jade Saxton no matter how many times you mention Jade Saxton. Like, what? <laughs> she would. No, she has a thing for doing that. Like, you don't even have to tag her. Just mention Jade Saxton and she'll find this episode. Well, I mean, it's not a bad thing to Google yourself on occasion just to make sure terrible shit isn't happening under your name. I don't blame yeah. her. Any other final words to send this off on besides Jade Saxton Googling herself? Just, uh, just always remember to keep your gun up. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Lock and load! Oh god! Why are we back to that? Why? I'm Why? sorry. Play black. You're not a billion player, Steph. No, I'm You're not, not a billion player yet. I'm a billion I'm a billion player, but a billion in debt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for us here, guys. Good night, Hope you everyone. Enjoyed. Thank you for joining us tonight, and until next time, Otaku, my friends. Keep it loaded. God damn it, did you really have to go with that? <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night.